The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. And normally I'm joined by Sean Martin, who you can find at Sean Martin NFL, but he's in Montana this week. So instead I went out and got Shereen Williams from Pro Football Talk and NBC Sports to join us this week on the podcast. Shereen, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yes. And, you know, it's the preseason. It's kind of the spring of football, so who better else to have than Mother Football to talk about, you know, (laughs) the uh, latest in what's going on with the Dallas Cowboys, who completed their first preseason game, taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and of course there's excitement to come out of that, um, chiefly in the form of Deuce Vaughn. So, you know, I throw it to you to start things off here. Um, You know, how much of Deuce Vaughn's work was substantive that you can count on and that you can rely on going into the regular season? And how much of it was just, you know, preseason? Well, you know, you want to see guys perform well no matter who they're up against, whether it's first stringers, second stringers, third stringers, whatever. I mean, that's that's what you have to do in the preseason to make the team. And I have no doubt that Deuce Vaughn has made the team. He looked great. He showed explosiveness. He showed moves. He showed that he's big enough to run between the tackles. I think all the things we saw at Kansas State. Now, he's made the team. The question is, is he going to be the backup running back to Tony Pollard? And and I still insist that this team needs a veteran running back. It has nothing to do about running between the tackles. It has nothing to do with catching the football. It has nothing to do with holding on to the football, something we saw another of their running backs have trouble doing yesterday. I think what it has to do with is picking up the blitz, knowing the pass protections, all those type of things. And there aren't very many rookies in this league who've come in and done that very well. So I still think the Cowboys need a veteran running back for that reason, I don't think that veteran running back is on the roster. It's not Ronald Jones. 
So I still think they need to go out and get one, despite what we've seen from Deuce Vaughn, which was a very impressive performance. He can play in the NFL. He's shown that. Um, but can he pick up the blitz against, you know, guys like Micah Parsons coming off the edge? And I, I don't know, and I don't know that the Cowboys know that. Uh, and I would have a little trepidation about putting him in that situation based on his size and being a rookie running back both. Um, and so that's my concern with him being the number two running back. It has nothing to do with him running or catching the football. We know he can do that. It's picking up. Uh, the blitzes and knowing the pass protections and being able to do it, not just knowing where to be, but being able to do that. Because I think Michael Parsons would take him to school. And I think everyone listening to this podcast would agree with that. And you, and people are going to say, well, he's not going to play Michael Parsons. I get that. Michael Parsons is one of the best defenders in the NFL, but he's going to have guys who are almost as good as Michael Parsons that he's going to have to pick up the blitz against. Right. And Darren Sproles is a, comparable with Deuce Vaughn in terms of his role. You know, even the running back stables that Sproles was a part of, think of the 2011 New Orleans Saints. You had Sproles, you had the rookie Mark Ingram, but you had Pierre Thomas. But Sean Payton didn't completely give over the running back core to the rookie, and then Darren Sproles. You still add, as you were talking about, the veteran presence of Pierre Thomas. Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison, a great comparison. I do think he's a lot like Darren Sproles. And just like the Saints did, Sean Payton did, that's what I think the Cowboys need to do. Now, I'm not saying go out and spend a lot of money. There's a reason that these veteran running backs are on the market. Guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette and all these guys – there's a Dalvin Cook. There's a reason they're still on the market. And I'm not saying they need to go out and spend a ton of money, a ton of money on one. There's other guys out there you can spend less money on um, if you're just looking for that role of being that pass protector and doing some of those things. But there's a lot of running backs on the market. There's going to be a lot more. I do think they will have a veteran running back on this roster by the time the season starts. Yeah, because, you know, You've got Pollard coming off of his injury and also just uh, the role that you have for him. But you also, like, I mean, even in 2016, when Ezekiel Elliott knew was going to be the number one running back, they still had Alfred Morris. So in terms of having a veteran running back, yeah. And and it is. It's for all of those other things. Things that you were talking about, because you know, eight touches. I mean, carries for fifty yards and a touchdown, and Vaughn squirting through defenders and that uh, USA Today photo. Um, he looked really good, uh, but it's just you. You figure that that's going to get. Teams are going to know how to defend that and take it away by November and December. But still, I think that he showed some stuff that could be, you know, valuable. I agree. And I think he showed, like he said after the game, he proved that he could play in the NFL. And I think Cowboys should fit, fans should be very excited by that. And I think some teams 
uh, are going to be despondent that they passed on him uh, and didn't take him uh, before the Cowboys did. Cause I do think he's going to, he's going to make some plays in the NFL. I, he, he has a chance to be a Darren Sproles, who was a fantastic running back despite his size and returner, despite his size in the NFL for a really long time. And that's who I think that Deuce Vaughn can be. Well, let's shift to the other side of the ball where some youngsters were making plays with DeMarvian Overshawn and Damone Clark and just that linebacking core. Do you think that linebacking core is going to be a strength for the Cowboys defense? Agree with you, Mark. And I think they've upgraded that position immensely. If you think back the last two, three years, what they've had there and the depth their lack of depth that they've had there. And I think they have that this season. They've really upgraded that position. And I like where they are. And I like the plays that some of those guys made. Um, you mentioned two of them, Clark and Overshawn. They were everywhere, and I just thought they played terrific yesterday. Again, it's against, you know, Jacksonville's mostly their backups, and, and I get all that. But when you're making plays at in the NFL, regardless of who it's against, I just think you show something. You show that you can play in the league. I think both of those guys showed that they can play in this league and that they're going to be able to make some plays on a weekly basis in the NFL in the regular season. So I think, again, Cowboys fans should be very excited by what they've seen by those two guys. And it's only going to make this defense better. I mean, when you start looking uh, at, at the front and you start looking at the back end of the defense, I mean, this is this is really a salty defense. This is a really good defense uh, and, and could end up being the best defense in the NFL. And there's a lot of good ones out there. But I think this defense is going to keep the Cowboys in every single game. If they don't turn over the football, protect the football, I think they'll have a chance to have a really great season because they're not going to give up a whole lot of points. Yes, and what I like about the linebacking core is it keeps Micah Parsons versatile. And I think the strength of the entire defense hinges on the principle of – Micah Parsons being versatile. Yeah, there's no question, Mark. It's a it's a great point. And this offseason, the most overblown story, one of the most overblown stories in the NFL was Micah Parsons is turning into a full-time defensive end. No, that was never the plan. That was never gonna happen. He played go back and study his snaps over the last two years. We've all written how many snaps he's had at each position over the last two years. It switched last year. No question it switched. He played more defensive end than he played linebacker last season. But you're not going to take away that versatility from him. That's what makes him such a great player. That's what makes him one of the NFL's best defensive players. That's what makes him a defensive player of the year candidate is the ability to play multiple positions. So you don't want to take that away. That would just be stupid. So – Overblown story in the offseason. They're going to move him around, and you're absolutely right. With all those other players, that gives them the ability to do that. They don't say, well, if we move him here, we really have nobody to play here. No, it's not like that. They have guys to play everywhere on this defense. They have the depth. When they have injuries, every team has injuries. 
when they have injuries. They're going to have guys that can come in or replace those guys who are injured. The next man up, they have that. So, again, this is something I think that's very exciting uh, for the Cowboys and the, and the fans this season. It's just that versatility that they have on defense. And that's what feels different about <laughs> these Cowboys, and I try not to talk about it too much because it is, you know, kind of like pablum that's been going on for at least half of the 27 years. But normally when the Cowboys have a dominant player like Micah Parsons, what ends up happening is that's it. You get saddled up and there it's all on you, bud. But it seems like they've taken Parsons, realized what a, you know, um, crypto elite, you know, kind of player he is, and have surrounded him with, you know, reinforcements as opposed to just saying, ah, you go get him. Kind of like with DeMarcus Ware, really, you know? It was Ware rushing off the edge, yeah. and that was it. That was the solution. You know, you maybe have some Jay Ratliff here, but that was the answer. Pass rush was just send Ware out to do it. But it seems like they've really committed to giving Parsons, you know, a a posse. Yeah, it, it's almost like those Harvey Martin, Randy White teams. You know, you, you had two guys who were just so good um, at their positions. And I would argue that that Harvey deserves more uh, Hall of Fame consideration than than what he's had. But you, I just think back to the Super Bowl, how dominant those two guys were uh, when they earned co-MVP uh, honors. And that's kind of what you're looking for from a defense. Because to take away one guy, you still want to be able to get after the quarterback. You still want to be able to stop the run. You still want to be able to do some other things. If they double and triple team, your best player, you still want to have other players who can who can get it done. That's part of being a special player is sometimes they're going to stop you because they're going to do it with multiple people. Well, that means your other guys better get after it. And so I I agree with you. I think they have guys on this defense who can do it. Dorrance Armstrong, I think, is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. I think he's a really good pass rusher, and I think he's going to get paid after this season for – for being a really good pass rusher. But it's not just pass rushing. It's his, what he does in the transition phase of the game. Yeah, no question. Because he ha- he can he block field goals and he can rush punts. And John Fossil mentioned in some of his availabilities throughout offseason workouts that you can't just, you know, it takes – a special kind of player to have them do that. You can't ask everyone to just try to block a kick or everybody to rush punts. So he has that other ability that coincides with what you're talking about with his pass rush. Yeah, he has some special abilities. There's no question about that. And and I just think he's a, a pretty special player. 
and you have those on the defense and, and, you know, I'll go as far as saying some of those guys are overshadowed uh, by Micah Parsons. And the great thing about this defense is they don't seem to care. They, they pat Micah Parsons on the back and say, look how great he is. And we're fine with living in the shadows and doing our thing. And that's what they've done. And, and I think that's part of what makes him a really good defense. Their safeties. Safe, they got three great safeties. I, I love their safeties. I love the combination. I love how they play those safeties. Um, and those safeties just go about their business. They don't, they don't care about the recognition. Yeah, isn't it crazy how Dallas actually has good safeties? And because normally that was the one of the question marks for Dallas defense for the last 15 years was safety. Yeah, I think since Roy Williams probably uh, when he had Darren Woodson with him, when Darren left, Roy Williams, the safety was not quite as good, but he did make the Pro Bowl. And, Mark, you probably know this better than I do because you are the rain man when it comes to NFL statistics. But I think Roy Williams, if if memory serves, was the last Cowboys safety to make the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I, he was because – no, um. It was him and Kim Man- Ken Hamlin, because uh, that was in 07. Because in 07, Roy Williams got to go because, unfortunately, Sean Taylor died that season. So he went in his place because they were friends. But in his own right, Ken Hamlin went. But, yeah, I mean, you, but that was the yeah. crazy year where they got 13 Pro Bowlers just because – they went 13-3, and three and fans overloaded the voting, though. Yeah, I forgot about Ken Hamlin. He had that one great year uh, here when he came in. So, yeah, that's probably the last time they had safeties as good as the safeties they have right now. That was that year. Yeah, and the, these are actually good safeties, too. And, and like I said, I mean, I've been a part of this thing, and I've seen them – that's always been the sieve. If there's ever been a point where you've been able to count on getting your yards or having an explosive, it's the Cowboys back in, and it doesn't feel like that anymore. No, it doesn't. Uh, and they've upgraded the corner position. I tell you what, another guy we didn't talk about who kind of stood out against the Jaguars, and that's Deron Bland. I thought he played fantastic in that game. Um, so they just got playmakers all over the field on defense, and they really upgraded that defense. We forget it wasn't that long ago. The year before, Dane Quinn came in and took over this defense, that they gave up the most points in franchise history. It wasn't that long ago. And now we're talking about this defense being one of the best in team history, going back to the doomsday days. So that's how far they've come under Dane Quinn. That's how good he's been. Yeah, and that's why he's commanded the respect that he has from the Joneses and why they've, you know, done their best to ensure that he doesn't take a job elsewhere. Yeah, and I I do think he'll be the next head coach of this team whenever that is, whether it's next year or five years from now. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he'll be – He'll play out his career here, however long that is, remain at defensive coordinator and one day take over as head coach. It'll be sort of like Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett started out under 
Wade Phillips and eventually became head coach of the Cowboys after serving as offensive coordinator. And I think that's what's going to happen with Dane Quinn. I think they love him that much. And he's been that um, he's been that good at his job. Now he might get other job opportunities. Jason Garrett did too. He got offered the Ravens job when Jard Harbaugh took it and he turned that down. So, you know, they're, they're probably job opportunities there for him if the Cowboys do what they think they're going to do this season uh, and McCarthy gets an extension. But I still think Dan Quinn's going to stay here. I think he'll be the defensive coordinator as long as Mike McCarthy's here. Uh, and when Mike McCarthy's gone, whenever that is, I think Dan Quinn's the next head coach of this team. And we've talked about it here on the Hidden Yardage before um, that Quinn – I'm sorry, that, yeah, Quinn was on the Cowboys' radar in 2019, actually, because they were surveying the situation. Stephen Jones admitted to this in one of his interviews on The Fan um, near the end of the 2021 season. But Quinn was on their radar in 2019 because the Falcons had... A horrendous start that year. And if you'll remember, um, Quinn got Quinn and Dim- Dimitriov, the GM, were brought back at the end of the season because Arthur Blank said that they really thought about, you know, getting rid of Quinn that year, but they he liked the way that they responded after the bye week. So Quinn made it into 2020 even though he got fired five games in then. But they, the Cowboys, had um, Quinn on their radar as far back as 2019 when Jason Garrett's contract was expiring. Think about all the great defensive coordinators the Cowboys have had here, starting with Tom Landry, who's one of the greatest defensive coordinators in NFL history. But they, they've had so many great defensive coordinators. Um that have, that have come through here, whether it's been as a head coach in the case of Landry and uh, Wade Phillips, um, but then they've just had great defensive coordinators, um, some of whom went on to, to other head coaching jobs. But I, it, it's, it is amazing how many good defensive coordinators they've had. All right, I'm going to see if I can do it, and I'll name them. Um, Tom Landry and then – Dick Nolan, Ernie Stotner, I think Dick Nolan. Dick Nolan yeah. came back at some point in the eighties. Yeah, he did. Had a couple since. I don't know if he was the DC up until um, Dave Wanstat, Butch Davis, Dave Campo, uh, Mike Zimmer, um, Brian Waters. Then Wade Phillips took over in 09 and 2010. Paul Pasqualoni as the interim. Rob Ryan. um, Monty Kiffin. Rod Marinelli. Mike Nolan. Dan Quinn. I think think that's it. You said Brian Waters, though. It wasn't Brian Waters. It was Brian Stewart, who I actually saw last week. Yeah, that's who I meant. Yeah, I... I was just going off the match here. That's very good. Yeah. Um, All right. So 
we've been talking about the defense. It's been great. But the offensive line looks a bit concerning. What happened to their ability to cultivate offensive line depth? You know, Mark, I think it's that way throughout the NFL. And if you ask any team, they're going to tell you there's just not enough offensive linemen to go around. There's not enough starting offensive linemen, much less backup offensive linemen. And I don't know why that is. It'd probably make a pretty good story of, you know, are the colleges not grooming them in the right way? Or, you know, there's obviously big enough guys. They're just these big guys aren't playing um, that well. And I think if any team has an injury to a starting five, it's in trouble. The Cowboys starting five is very good. You think about the money and the draft picks that they've spent on these guys. Um, they're starting five. If you get, and I'm including Zach Martin, obviously at right guard, one of the best right guards in NFL history. Um, but they're starting five. It's very good. But you start having injury woes and you're in trouble. And we saw that a little bit with them last year. And I think it's that way with any team. So I would say that the Cowboys have invested a lot and have done a very good job at drafting offensive linemen. Um, But, you know, that left guard position has kind of been a rotating position. They just haven't found anyone to come in there and really take it over. And obviously Tyler Smith is not the long-term answer there because he's eventually going to be back at left tackle where he's very good at left tackle. That's why they drafted him, drafted him to be a left tackle. It was the same when they – had Lyle Collins. They end up getting, you know, a, a guy who would have been a first round draft pack pick if not for some extenuating circumstances before the draft. They start him at left guard, end up moving him to right tackle. So it's the same deal with Tyler Smith. He's not going to stay there very long. So that position has just kind of been a rotating position. They've taken left tackles and they've put them there at left guard um, just until they're ready to move them to either left tackle or right tackle. So long-winded answer to your question, I just think it's a league-wide problem that there's just not enough starting offensive linemen to go around, much less backup offensive linemen to go around. And if you get an injury or you have a player in a contract holdout who's not going to show up, then then you're in a little bit of trouble. And I think the Cowboys were in a lot of trouble. If Zach Martin isn't, isn't there, at least by week two, I think, Dak Prescott's going to get killed uh, by the New York Jets. If you watched their preseason game and saw their pass rush, they're going to be very good. You've heard of the Mark Lane multiverse, right? No. Okay. The Mark Lane multiverse is basically you've got all these different versions of Mark Lane in these different NFL cities. (laughs) So, for example, the Mark Lane that covers the Cowboys (laughs) is Mark Lane 972, and then the Mark Lane that covers the Houston Texans is Mark Lane 832. So Mark Lane 832 told me, because this is Cowboys, Mark Lane 972, that you see that with the Texans right now. All it took was Titus Howard to break his hand, and now they're in a world of hurt at tackle. Yeah. And I think it's that way everywhere in the league. And I think teams cringe, especially if they use, lose one of those tackles 
but in the Cowboys' case, I think losing your right guard, uh, if he's out into the regular season, it's going to be huge for them. So, you know, they, they've got to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to play in case he doesn't show up. But the answers behind Zach Martin are not very good. And going back to what you said, though, is it a league-wide problem? I mean, it is, but why? And All right, I if it is, it's because of the um, collective bargaining agreement and how much hitting they can actually do. And I don't think it provides for the cultivation because they're not really getting totally evaluated until the pads come on at camp. That's what the offensive line coaches across the league say every spring. Yep, I think that's a good point. And I think the fact that college offenses have changed uh, to where they're not playing the same sort of, sort of style that they're playing in the NFL, I think that's sort of hurt the development uh, of some of these offensive linemen too. But it's a great point. And I think you're on to it that that's probably the main reason that we've seen um, these offensive linemen not develop like, like maybe you would think they would. Um, because the bodies are big. I mean, they're big enough, they're athletic, and nothing else explains it except, to your point, they're just not getting enough of those live reps that they need to improve and get better. And when you do it under fire and you don't succeed, they don't give you very long um, to get it right because you're going to get the quarterback killed and they're not going to wait for you to, to get it right if you're getting the quarterback killed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, no one wants to see that. No one wants to watch Cooper Rush as, you know, fascinating as it is. No one really wants to watch <laughs> too much of that. But regardless of everybody being healthy, 100% attendance on game day from your starting unit lineups, the whole payroll is playing, and then they a kicker costs them a key win. Shireen, I mean, at what point do you just go ahead and look for a veteran kicker and just stop trying to, you know find the next Dan Bailey here? If it was me, I would have already done it. I would have already had that guy in here. And I think we're beyond the point last season when they brought in Brett Maher um, in that kicking battle because it wasn't going the way they thought. 
But at this point, I'd have to say I think they're waiting for some of these kicking battles elsewhere around the league to shake out to decide what they're going to do at kicker. But they're going to have to do something. I mean, it's obvious. You're right. you gotta have, you got to have a guy you can rely on to kick field goals. And they had that last year during the regular season. They didn't have that in the playoffs, which is why he's not back. Um, they didn't have it with Greg Zerline. He missed too many kicks over two seasons. And now, guess what? He's lights out for the Jets. I mean, I, I, I responded on Twitter because they were talking about somebody tweeted about Mr. Reliability, you know, Greg Zerline. It's automatic when he comes in. I'm thinking, you, didn't, you know, I tweeted, you didn't see him play in the two seasons that he played in Dallas. He was not Mr. Automatic, but he is now. So, yeah, they're going to have to sign a veteran kicker. There's no question about that. They, The kicker who is going to kick on opening day is not on their roster. I will, I will go out on a limb, and it's not a very big limb to go out on, I understand. But I, they have to sign a veteran kicker. If they don't, they're in trouble. Yeah, and I think they're in trouble just with the way that they've handled it because – now you're basically going through the scraps. I mean, you don't go get a veteran kicker in September if you're a championship caliber team unless your kicker got injured. You know, like we saw with the um, Indianapolis Colts in 2009. I mean, they went to the Super Bowl, didn't win it. But... They had Adam Vinatieri, he was injured, so they go get Matt Stover. Uh, That's where you go with that. You don't purposefully go into this looking for the the veteran kicker in September because you're really going through, I mean, you're just not, this. I don't know, this just doesn't really lend itself well to trying to be the smartest guy in the room, not with this. Well, I don't think they're panicking because they know Mason Crosby and Robbie Gould are still sitting out there for them. Um, and they're, all these teams carrying two kickers, a lot of them have veteran kickers who they're going to let go. Um, so I don't think they're panicking because of that. There are kickers available everywhere. But, again, if it was me, I would have addressed the problem a long time ago and gone out and got me a kicker I knew I could rely on. Uh, and they haven't done that. But I think that's why they're not pa- panicking at this point because they know who's sitting out there still available and, and who's going to be available once uh, cuts cut down start, which this year isn't until after the final preseason game. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where Dallas goes with that. All right, let's go ahead and get to the Cowboys' birthdays here for this week. Uh, On Monday, Greg Ellis turns 48 years old. He's a Pro Bowl defensive end for the Cowboys from 1998 to 2008. And yes, they took him instead of Randy Moss in the 98 NFL draft out of North Carolina. What are your, any memories of uh, Greg Ellis, Shireen? One of the absolute nicest guys who's ever played on the Cowboys. One of my all-time favorites. I absolutely love Greg Ellis uh, and will always love Greg Ellis. I mean, just a fantastic guy and was a really good player for the Cowboys for, for a long time. So a lot of respect for Greg Ellis. 
Yeah, and last I checked up with him, I think in 2017, he was putting on Juneteenth plays. And so it was yeah. very interesting how he got involved in theater um, after his playing days. Yeah, and he's still involved in that. Highly involved in that. So multi-talented guy. Also on Monday, Julius Jones turns 42 years old. He's with Dallas from 2004 to 2007. And uh, he just, he didn't win that running back battle with Marion Barber. He did not, but I tell you what, Bill Parcells loved him some Julius Jones. It was amazing how much he loved uh, Julius Jones. Uh, and if I, if memory recalls, I was just sitting here about to look it up. I'm going to say he had 1,000-yard season, which was his only Pro Bowl season. Um, actually, he didn't make a Pro Bowl. I thought he made a Pro Bowl on his 1,000-yard season, but he did not. Rush for 1,084 yards and four touchdowns in 2006. Yep. And then we go on to Wednesday where Isaiah Stanback, receiver, uh, he played for the team from 07 to 08. He was a quarterback that they took that they tried to convert to receiver. didn't really work out unless the long game was to have him be on their uh, DallasCowboys.com you know, video and studio shows, which he does so expertly. Then they won the long game. Yeah, you know, and I do remember that conversion, and it took a while, and you kept waiting for him to <clears throat> see how he was going to ve- develop as a receiver, and he just didn't – it just didn't ever happen. And he had some injuries and then just didn't convert like they had hoped he would convert. Also played for New England and Jacksonville. Pretty short career overall. Um, but, yeah, that's what I remember about him is just, you know – and they would work on some trick plays, kind of interesting. They work on trick plays with him, obviously, to, to try to get him to, you know, throw the football. But I don't think he ever threw a pass uh, in the NFL in his time there. But they did work with him on, on some trick plays. And then finally, on Friday, David Irving turns 30 years old. Uh, he played defensive tackle for Dallas from 2015 to 2018. And uh, what can I say of David Irving? Well, let me say this. I tried to get a quote from his former coach at Iowa State, Paul Rhodes, when he was defensive coordinator at Arkansas, just, you know, talking about, because in 2016, Irving had a really good year. So I was talking to Paul Rhodes, trying to get a quote. Absolutely said no comment. Just would not give a quote about David Irving. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Yeah, not surprising on David Ernie, one of the weirdest guys I've ever covered, ever. Uh, just a real weirdo. And uh, obviously <clears throat> had a ton of arrest. And i tell you what, though, I remember a couple games he played against the Packers that he absolutely dominated them. I think he's one of those guys. There's a bunch of them in the NFL for various reasons, whether it was off-the-field stuff, which it was in Irving's case, whether it's not working hard enough, which it was in Manziel's case, whether it was injuries, um, which it was in a ton of guys' uh, cases, um, 
he was one of those guys who I think never lived up to his potential. I think he could have been an all pro player for a number of years, um, but he just never lived up to that potential that he had, except for a couple games against the Packers. He really showed what he could have been. It's unfortunate in that. I always hate it, you know, because you, you think about, man, that guy could have been really special. And, and just it didn't happen for whatever reason. It's the consistency factor. It's coming down from the highs, I think, that's more difficult than responding to the lows. And I think... A lot of guys can't handle that, but three guys for sure that Cowboys fans know handled it and are hoping to get, get their due are Darren Woodson and Jason Witten. And as you said, I mean, this is, I mean, this really, go- he's not even in the ring of honor, you understand. But Harvey Martin, um, you're a voter for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What do you think about, let's talk about Darren Woodson and just talk about his chances. What seems to be happening with him? He always seems to get the finalist and then he just never goes. It's like he's the new Cliff Harris. Well, the great thing was he actually made the finalist for the first time last year. So we got him to take that step. That's the first time he had been in the room he would make the semifinals list and never make the finals list. We finally got him into the finals list, got to present his case last year. Um, so I think that's a step for Darren Woodson. I'm excited by where that went. And <clears throat> could, the voters have been way more kind to safeties in recent years. You think about all the safeties who have gone in. And so I am encouraged by Darren Woodson and his chances. I don't know if it'll be this year. Probably not. Maybe. We'll see. Um, class of 2024 I'm talking about. We're just getting started on that. We have uh, coaching contributor category coming up. In fact, we're going to meet this week, and we're going to pick a finalist for that. I get to pick Dan Reeves, another Cowboy. So it would be exciting if, if he was the finalist for that. I think he's – He's got a shot again over the next few years to to get in. Um, But, yeah, you know, I think with Darren just taking that next step, having his case presented uh, in the room, I think, was a big thing. So we'll see where it goes from here. But hopefully he takes another step this year. Yeah, Dan Reeves, um, he did great work with Denver, New York, and Atlanta. And he was somebody that really admired Tom Landry, you know, kept wearing the suits on the sidelines till the NFL made coaches stop. Um, but I, let me let me ask you this: Does playing for two different franchises, you know, in big moments, does that help with a candidate's, you know, ability to stand out? Because Demarcus Ware. He, you know, predominantly a cowboy, but he won a Super Bowl. He was a pro bowler with the Denver Broncos, and he endeared himself to that fan base. So he had two fan bases pulling for him. In a case of Everson Walls, where he was 
the Paragon as a defensive back throughout the 80s for the Cowboys and then 1990, first year with the Giants, and he helps them win a Super Bowl um, in dramatic fashion. Do you think it helps their candidacy to have two fan bases, two franchises pulling for a player? I don't know if that really matters. What helps probably Everson Walls the most is having Bill Belichick talk about how great he was when he played for the Giants. That's probably the best thing he has going for him. What he has going against him is there have been so many senior candidates from the Cowboys who have gone in in recent years. Chuck Halley this year, you think about Drew Pearson and Cliff Harris, and we go on and on. Bob Hayes wasn't that long ago. Um uh, Ray Field Wright wasn't that long ago. So the seniors candidates, there have been a ton. I'm probably missing somebody off the top of my head, but <clears throat> there have been a ton of Cowboys go in as senior candidates over the last few years. So people are cognizant of that. They go, well, you know, we just put in Chuck Halley last year. It's time for another team to be represented. We have this whole huge list uh, of seniors candidates. And the list is very, very long of senior candidates who deserve to go in. So uh, it may be a, a little bit for, for Everson. Uh, and again, he, maybe that helps him, the fact that his entire career wasn't played with the Cowboys because people say, well, he, you know, he did a lot with the Giants, won a Super Bowl with the Giants. Bill Belichick thought he was great with the Giants. So maybe that helps his case um, because of that, because of the anti-Cowboy, well, we just put in all these Cowboys type thing. Yeah, uh, in terms of the senior candidates that you're talking about, uh, Chuck Alley in 23, yeah. well, Drew Pearson in 21, um, Cliff Harris in 2020, uh, Gil Brandt in 2019 as a contributor. But nevertheless, and then Jerry Jones also a contributor in 2017. Uh, yeah, like you're talking about, from the senior class and the contributor class, you know, since 2017, you know, the Cowboys have figured into it in some way. Yeah, and that does factor in. I mean, because a lot of teams have a lot of players who are sitting there who, who want to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as seniors candidates or um, coach contributor or whatever it is. Uh, there's a lot of them sitting there. Now, there's three senior candidates for this year. They'll meet later this month, and we'll know who the three are for the class of 2024. But I would not expect one of those to be a Cowboy, just based on that. I'm not on the seniors committee, so I don't know. I'm on the coach and contributor committee. Um, but just guessing, I would not expect a Cowboy to be come out of that seniors room. And then he's not up for anything yet. Um, but Jason Witten, what – what would you forecast his chances at at this point? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that he's going to be first ballot, but we'll see. I look forward to the presentation because I know he's going to be a finalist the year he comes up. Um, and it's it's always based on who are the other candidates in that class, who are the leftover candidates. You, know, you take that list of 15 finalists, and really it's about who are the five best guys on that list of 15. And if he's one of those five, then he should be in first ballot. If he's not one of those five, then he should wait. So we'll see, you know, 
when it comes to making the case. Hopefully Rick Goslin and I can make a really good presentation for Jason and uh, try to get him in on first ballot. I know that's what he'd like to see. And I was really surprised when DeMarcus Ware didn't go in first ballot. I thought he was a first ballot guy and he didn't go in first ballot. So sometimes it's hard to guess like how people are, are going to vote. But again, I think it comes down to the five best people on that list of 15 in your mind. That's, that's, that's who you vote for. And um, that's what I do. If they're first ballot guys, they're first ballot guys. And if they've been on the list for 10 years, they've been on the list for 10 years, but it's the five you think are most worthy for that year. So it's always interesting, always entertaining, but I do think Jason gets in. I just hope it's not a really long wait. I thought Charles Haley's wait was a little bit too long. Uh, obviously Michael Irvin had to wait three years. Hopefully Jason doesn't have to wait a lot of years before he goes in. How do they present? Do they do PowerPoint or they give a speech by an elector? Yeah. Um, so Rick Goslin, formerly of the Dallas morning news now of talk of fame network. He is the presenter for Dallas. Um, sometimes I'm given the official presentation. I did Larry Allen, for instance, I did Drew Pearson, um, you know, I've done some um, because Goose is on the seniors committee as well. So they don't like people to have multiple candidates to present. So I get some of the candidates to present since I'm the other Dallas selector, but I'm an at-large uh, selector. But yeah, it's, it's a uh, seven, I think it's seven minutes is the presentation. So I have my presentation here right in front of me for uh, <clears throat> for Dan Reeves that I'll present this week for the coach contributor committee. Um, and you'll just, you make your presentation. It's on a zoom call. And uh, then there's a discussion uh, on that candidate. Anybody who wants to talk uh, can talk about that candidate, whether it's positive, negative, uh, whatever. it's usually positive if people speak up, but sometimes people bring stuff up. And <clears throat> the obvious thing with, with Dan Reeves is, you know, and, and I, I'm I'm not ignoring the elephant in the room, but he <clears throat> he went to nine Super Bowls as a player, assistant coach, and and head coach, but he never won a Super Bowl as a head coach. So I go ahead and delve into that. I'm not going to hide that. I'm not going to you know let. I mean, you you've got to bring that up. Voters are very smart; they know that. So I bring it up and say, here's why you should ignore that. Here's all the coaches who are in the Hall of Fame who never won a Super Bowl. Uh, and there's a bunch of them. So, you know, I have a, I have a, lot, of, uh, a lot of facts here. You would appreciate them, Mark, since you're a fact guy. But a lot of facts that, um, that I can try to overcome that with. You know, Marv Levy and Bud Grant are really the guys I'm kind of bringing up who, who never won a Super Bowl but are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, and here's one I would bring up is they, he, with three different franchises and won a playoff game. And, you know, for somebody who's been at a job for 10 plus years, it's hard to do that on the retread, which is what he did with New York and Atlanta, you know? So. I just, Dan Reeves, he really is in that class of like you talked about, Bud Grant, Marv Levy, 
but it's spread out over three different franchises as opposed to one. And I think that gets people thinking, oh, well, you know, he just was like Marty Schottenheimer. He just choked in the big game. Yeah, and I think you also, it's a great point, Martin. I think you also have to consider that he was the general manager in Atlanta. <clears throat> so he built the Falcons to a Super Bowl uh, NFC championship team that went on to the Super Bowl and lost. So um, I think that's real important too, and I think you take that into consideration. Even though we're talking about him as a coach, I think it's a big deal. You know, we made a big deal of it with Jimmy. Uh, when, when Jimmy went in, I, I did Jimmy's presentation. And uh, that's one of the things I made a big deal of is he was the GM in Dallas. He had it written in his contract. He sent me a picture of his contract. It was written in there. He was a GM of the Dallas Cowboys. And so we made a big deal about that, about the trade of Herschel and all the trades that he made to build that football team. And I think it's the same thing with Dan Reeves. you got to take that into consideration. Yes, just as I have to take into consideration the time Although the executive producer of the podcast, R.J. Ochoa, would love that I'm having just the Queen Aggie (laughs) on the podcast, Uh, he's probably getting nervous with how this has gone six minutes, seven minutes over. So, yeah, I got to wrap it up here. All right, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Where can they find you on Twitter? I mean, X, Shireen. I am at NFL Shireen, so feel free to follow along, profootballtalk.com. Come visit us. Put up multiple posts every day. We're, we're the source for the NFL. Come see us. We definitely will. You can subscribe to the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Sean Martin will be in next week. So there it is. 